Hello, friends, and welcome to Talking Transformative Love. Love is in the air. The podcast that talks vocation, love, and mission, celebrating the valiant woman that was Mary Ward. I'm Juan Carter, your host. Before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia, paying our deepest respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. Today, we have Deidre Brown, but I will be referring to her as DB because she likes to be known as DB. Isn't that right? Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) So DB has made it to this tiny studio in Abbotsford and I can't believe it that you're you're here and it's amazing. Mm. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you, In this tiny room. It's a pleasure to be here and... I think love is in the air. Love it. So love is in the air. I don't know about the transforming bit. No, love is basically. So feel free to break out in song at any point and during this interview because it is all about music. We're talking about your whole life. Well, not your whole life, but but we will be talking about your your passion and and your love and whoever thinks DB thinks music. I think. Yes. Um, what do you reckon? I think that probably would be right. Yeah. Um, I like to think that um, more than my music, but then I like to think that I am the music. So. You are the music. And I think so, it's not that you do music. I think you embody music. I hope so. Mm. Uh, that's that's what I felt when I lived with you. Um, so I lived in the um, community with you for almost a year, I think, mm. in Hawthorne and for me, it's it's the way you uh, carry yourself. It's all music. It's all musical. Oh, no, Joanne, no, I think that's it's a bit true. of an exaggeration. <laughs> it's true. Oh. Uh, and I would often hear you play the piano. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, and I have recorded you secretly sometimes oh. while you were playing the piano. <laughs> that's bad news. Mm. But it, it's... Um, it's who you are, and that's that's mm. what we what we think of you when we think music. So now uh, you can tell me about the role of vocation and music, or yes. how do they actually speak to one another? Yes, I like that. I think I need to say when I first decided to join the institute, there was a vocation there, and I imagine yes. Wh- when music, was that? Sorry, nineteen. Uh, 19- <laughs> so far back, right? You were you no, were eighteen, don't like is to that let right? Everybody know, but anyway, <laughs> here it is. Um, Nineteen fifty-four. Yes, and um, you were eighteen. Yes, I was. Wow. Yes. And it was a bit uh, not atypical at the time because you know people had a vocation to marry or yeah. to be single or to become a nun. Yes, and you chose, of course. Well, I thought, I imagined myself as a nun when I was quite small. <laughs> I used to go into the bathroom and yeah. put on a towel around my head and try to look <laughs> well, like Well, because one. you were habited, weren't you? Yes, like, we you were. wore a habit. Mm, um, yes. And I've seen pictures of you in a habit, and they're great yes, pictures. Yes, yes. Well, we all romped around in those habits, but yeah. I think it, we were also very happy when... We were relieved of them, yes. particularly in hot climates, you know, yeah, very yeah. difficult. But um, <clears throat> no, um, I fancied myself um, when I left school as um, 
I was besotted with the orchestras, uh, yeah. you know, the, the the vocation of being an orchestral player. Yes, as I saw it, because I never wanted to be out front, you know, um, uh, being a virtuoso on the stage, playing as a single person for the whole audience. I wanted no. to be embedded in a group and a community, and that I think is part mm. of who I am too. And mm. um, the orchestral players, you know, I used to look on with wonder and the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, because yes. that's where I grew up in Sydney. <clears throat> and um, it was quite phenomenal then because it was post-war time, the Second World War, and a lot of the orchestras had disbanded. Yeah. And they had to um, leave their, um, go and work and go on, go into the army or yeah, the forces. Yeah. Mm. And... Um, and so they were starting up again um, in '36 when I was yeah. born. So um, it was very exciting, or, or not exactly then. For after that '40s, in the '40s when the war ended, '45 around that time. Mm. But um, uh, for me, it was like I wanted that career, but I wanted. I felt God was calling me to something else, and that. And you thought that was Loretto. It was. But, but you had a Loretta education. So. I did, and I was going to say that, that the boarding school was really a very influential thing. Yeah. Loretta and Norman Hurst in Sydney. And um, my mother had died when I was young, seven, eight, and my father felt he couldn't manage, you know, this this child that was a bit naughty anyway. Well, and, artistic. Um, <laughs> And uh, a wild one, you know. <laughs> so it's, that hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, he said, off to boarding school. Where I went, and um, I found it a great life. But yeah. during that boarding school life, I also witnessed the way the sisters, and there would have been at least thirty nuns in the yeah. in the same place. I went to visit Norman Hurst recently and I saw the the wing. Yes. I shouldn't call it the wing, but anyway, the 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 space where all of you lived and yes, now it's right. become these rooms yes, for the right. students and yes. I thought, "Oh, wow. This room I mean could have been DB's." Yes, it could have been because I was there few, many times. In fact, I often get mixed up as to who I actually taught at Norman Hurst, who I was in the novitiate with, who I was in as a young yeah. young professed sister, because the, I only had a year or two away from Norman Hurst, yes. um, mm. so I knew the whole run of things and um, for a while there. So um, as a boarder, I was exposed to um, the prayer life of yeah. the nuns. We were all marched into the chapel before our evening meal. Yeah. And we sang a hymn, and we. <laughs> we I, I, did. Th I think you joined because they the nuns would have sung really well. Oh no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I had a lovely music teacher, and she she ended up um, uh, just Lua Burn. So do you, then, do you think that it was the community that that sense oh. of community of sisters and? Uh, yeah, well, you know, you couldn't say everyone inspired you, but. <laughs> no, <laughs> as no, you'd never get a group of teachers that you'd like no. everybody, but um, yes, they did really um, because I knew what they were about. Yes, it, it was very clear what they were about. It was yeah. very focused, and it's and it still is, I think. Yeah, as you know, as a person who's just joined, yes. uh, I feel that there is still this clarity about what we stand for and who we are. I and, think so. Yeah, um, and that hasn't 
I think, changed. It might look different, but it hasn't really um, changed. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and my music teacher in particular... What was her name? Uh, Mother Lua, okay. L-U-A, yeah. Byrne. So the sisters who, are, who will listen to this podcast will know who we're talking about. Oh, yes, they yep. will. Yes. I won't know. <laughs> yes. Well, she is actually the aunt of Sister Anne Byrne, who is currently oh, very, yeah. very well known know to Anne, you. Yeah. Yes. So um, she was she was a very kind person, mm. and she and look, talking about the theme of love, I really felt she we had a lovely relationship and that she a loving relationship because yeah. she saw me as a potential, you know, good student, yes. and good musician. And uh, she just brought it all out of me. And on bad days, she'd you know go in and I'd have a little cry at my music yeah, lesson. Wow. Another time I would be very happy. But she was always there as a loving woman, mm. as well as a loving musician. So and really ready to um, do anything for you. Yeah. So I loved that person. And very early on, I realised my hands were something a way I could communicate my best self yeah because I would get into a little um, music room and go into space that you could just go away from yeah. everything and dream of who you might be <laughs> as a little kid and isn't what, that beautiful yeah I think and I often beautiful. think that the relationship between prayer and music is so close it is know, because it's the mm. the yearnings of the heart yeah. And the expression of love. See, I have no, I have zero musical talent. And so that's probably why I shouldn't be the one interviewing you. I think you. it's but, marvelous. <laughs> but, but I do know when you say that, I can relate in the sense that, you know, I'm an artist in, mm. in my photography, for instance. Yes. And I always say to people, when I hold the camera and I'm looking through yeah. the lens, the world kind of just stops and I am in this world of my own. And yes. for me, that's therapeutic. Yes. And it's it's a way of looking at the world. And in a sense, even though, you know, I'm holding this gigantic thing in front of me, uh, it shuts out everything else. So I can kind of relate with your passion of music. Um, mm. And one of the things we, when we were thinking of what, what do we have conversations about, and of course, music. So... Music has always been uniquely positioned to transform both yeah. the player, composer, and the listener. Mm. Why do you think that is? Okay, so my mind is fluttering across a lot of canvas at the moment, <laughs> but I'll I'll come back to this. Um, why do I think music is so transformational? I think it's because each each and every person. From the time they were born, were making their first mm. little cry <laughs> of That's sound. Music, isn't That's it? music yeah. to the mother's ear, isn't it? And it's mm. music to uh, us and to the family. And then from then on, I mean, every movement, movement is music too. Movement, children dancing. Uh, the joy I get out of seeing yeah. little ones coming to life and wiggling their tails and jumping around <laughs> to music, you know. That is exquisite. Yeah. That's, that's an expression of who they are. And then as they grow and, you know, the teenagers love to do what they do and yeah. the adults go their way and, and people. But that thread of music is right through their lives. Now, 
if you ask me, does it transform them? I think yes, you, you'd have to say so. Yes. What draws people to these big, why are they in the mud in, yeah. <laughs> in New South Wales, <laughs> in Byron Bay? You know, sloshing oh, yeah. around. And <laughs> trying to, Splendor in the grass. Having a music festival. <laughs> Did you want to go to Splendor in the Grass? We Not could have really, gone together. Not particularly what I saw. <laughs> but um, isn't that a, you're right? I've got a friend uh, who you know, actually, Siobhan. She's there now, and she's and I said, isn't it just horrible being yes. in the mud? And she said, no, it's music seems yes. to just unite everybody, it does. and it, it does. brings yeah. them mm. to this. I guess in a way, it transcends, doesn't it? Well, it does. And I was caught by that when I was about 16 and I went to a concert in the Sydney Town Hall and this orchestra, you know, and um, uh, they were performing, I think, I don't know whether it was the Messiah or one of those yeah. big sacred works. And I can remember I thought, the heavens are opening. This is, this is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And I knew the experience, and in my very religious life, I've gone back to when people say go back to some, some very formative experience. Yeah. I would think of that moment as as a young person taken out of myself almost, yeah. you know. Yeah. So mu music transcends. Yes, that's right. And because um, um, my tastes are very eclectic, yes. I can see when people are moved moved such as the music festival at Byron Bay and other music festivals that people flock to yeah but um it's not necessarily my my sort of gig you know not no. necessarily what I would go to but um last just recently in July um we had the opening of the renovated concert hall in Sydney at the oh. Opera House and there was a a piece of music played that night, two pieces of music yeah. played that night, where, as you were asking about transcendence, I am sure the people who attended that, and there would have been a couple of thousand, um, filled the the whole of the opera house because there was, um, it, was a, it was a significant event of celebration. Mm. And a new piece had been commissioned for that by the wonderful um, Indigenous artist William Barton, yeah. who composed it, and w it was performed as the opening. And it was, yeah. it was about earthing, mm. called something about the earth. And I thought that was so amazing, and it caught people straight away. You could hear the hush, so to speak. Yeah. And I was just listening. I was observing in Melbourne on the television. Yeah. So the awe and wonder of that mm. night. And then the next piece was called the Resurrection Symphony. So we oh, went wow. from earthing ourselves into the Resurrection yeah. Symphony of Mahler, the Gustav Mahler, who's um, 19th century German composer. Yes. And there was, you know, massed choirs and everything and it was so exciting and yeah. I don't think anybody who went to that and chose to win it you couldn't get a ticket would have been the same as they yes. entered the space so they were transformed I'd say so yes so it yeah. has that capacity to take you into a completely different world yeah, yeah. and I think we all need that and we all we it might be through activity and uh, dance or something yeah. but it could be just sitting perfectly still listening to others and yes. um, yeah, yeah. I think that's 
and that's something I used to love to do to create with young people. Yeah, particularly, you still are though. Particularly students, yeah. the young students. At, I remember we we'd send the send the choirs into the Estedford, and um, I learned a lot about from other watching other groups. And one one year, the adjudicator wrote in the report for these children that I, in my conducting, I somehow played with the group as mm. if they were an orchestra of instruments. Yeah, wow. And, you know, I, I never mm. realised that, but you would be educing yes. the music from them and their faces. Yeah. And that's the greatest joy for me, to yeah. have my back to the audience and yes. my face to the faces. And I think yeah. it sort of sums up how I feel. I'm not trying to be out there in front. No. Although that is part of but but not only that you know not only are you a an artist in terms you know a musician you're also I I think you're also a poet and you wrote as, I mean for me as a as a newbie to the Loretto world um, when I when I as as a novice right now I am reading through the constitutions um, and you wrote the second document, uh, or, or sorry, the modern document as we refer to it. For the IBVM it, For the IBVM constitutions. You know, obviously it's got beautiful writing. The language is amazing. It's relevant. It's It makes you want to sign up. <laughs> so uh, for me, that's been a huge influence mm. is seeing your work. Um, because I, when I was introduced to this modern document, uh, which is IBVM constitutions, I... I was reading it and somebody said to me, hey, did you know DV is the one that wrote that? And I think, wow, that's incredible. I am now living in Hawthorne with the woman who wrote these constitutions, you know, I mean, put them in, in modern day language. Tell me about that process because we want to talk a little bit about Mary Ward and and living religious life. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me about writing the constitutions or writing the modern document. Yes. Well, I was approached by our general leader at the time, who mm. was Mary Wright, whom I know yeah, you, you know. Who we're interviewing as well. This <laughs> afternoon, I think. Yes. yes. That's right. And, uh, well, she's a, a giant in many ways in our institute. Um, but um, the way she structured a process was quite brilliant. Yes. But for me personally, how it happened was... I had finished um, my time as in leadership as provi provincial yes. superior, and I thought, this is wonderful. I've got now I can just be a free agent for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> as you, you thought, <laughs> as I you thought. <laughs> and uh, Mary had the audacity <laughs> to ask me to come over to Rome for a little holiday <laughs> and it she, wasn't a holiday and, was it well she, i think she was truthful enough um she because i was stepping in for somebody who was not well and couldn't couldn't come mm. so she said there's a space so we what about if we go for a driving trip through italy yeah and <laughs> you pick out the places you'd like to see and i'll be going doing this so we did and I, I remember I had a shocking cold, a <laughs> really bad one, and I, I, they had to delay the departure for a uh -huh. couple of days. But eventually we jumped into the car and off we went. And it so happened that nearly every place I wanted to see, there was um, 
a great composer or a great musician oh, yeah. had been Pavarotti or somebody who'd been singing yes. in there. Or there was this, and we had a wonderful time. Really, those two weeks were quite gorgeous. One day we were staying up in a little, up in the outside, um, oh, it's somewhere near Naples, yeah. and um, in a little B and B type place. And uh, Mary said, when we came to breakfast, mm. um, and there was a nice little white tablecloth and yeah. the, everything, and <laughs> I can remember it all, and the waiter was coming along, and she said, she you it. seem to be out of your flu or whatever it was. You, you, you look much better. Yeah, and I said, so yes, we've got to ask I you. am much better. <laughs> Thereupon she said, I've been thinking, oh, I'm, no. you might be the writer for the Constitution. So look, honestly. I could not believe what I was hearing. And she said, just think about it. Anyway, I did think about it as the holiday went on a little bit. And I, it was a complete fork and a, a turn off the main road yes. for me. I Mind you, I loved writing and I loved words and I hear the music yeah. in words. So that's why some of my words do yes. speak to your heart. They because, do. Because that's what happened, you know. Um, so... So I got started on um, the constitutions eventually, but Mary's structure and strategy of approach was to leave me freedom, but, yeah. but have responsive uh, feedback constantly mm. and draw out of various provinces their response to what I had already written. Yeah. So I used to churn out a chapter every now and then, and then a central committee would sit with that and then they'd send it out to others and then they'd yes. refine, send me the refinements that people are looking for. Yeah. So it was like a give and take around the whole of the world uh, scene, but with a very clear um, process. Yeah. So I was delighted with that. And then for me personally, I was also in a, in a re renewal program for myself because I had to read into the modern theology yeah, and wow. um, reading all the time. Mm. And you mentioned um, mission. Well, mission is something that, you know, popped out of that chapter too very strongly. That, what's, that, what's that famous line? Mission is at the heart of who we are and love is the driving force that urges us on. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know what's my favourite word in that? urges yeah I think it's it's the most um it's like the immediate you know there yes. is immediacy well, about right. mission yeah uh, that it's now you know it's not that we will uh we will do social justice yes it's now you know and I love that it's yes. and as you know I I use it quite a bit that line yes. in in my in yeah. writings that I um even for my uni writings if mm. I had to write something on mission, it's yeah. what um, draws me to the constitutions. Yes, and you'll find that um, very much in the Pauline writings, you know, uh, yeah, that idea, yeah, that immediacy, the immediacy. Yeah. Mm. and in um, uh, another funny influence or association, I get a lot of associations in my way of being. I'm always thinking of things that, that link in and often people don't recognise what I'm talking about because I've suddenly <laughs> gone off to something else. But it's an association mm. I make within yeah. me. And um, <laughs> I remember I was quite ill when I was 21 in the order and uh, I had a very bad flu-like um, COVID. You know, there was a raging 
epidemic at the time. Yeah. And I was shot off to hospital in Brisbane, um, out of the city where I was working, up to Toowoomba for the very beautiful, cold, fresh air yes. that they said would be good for me. St Vincent's in Toowoomba, and the motto for the Sisters of Charity is Caritas Christi Urgit Nos, ah. the love of Christ urges us on. Now, you see, it came back to my yeah. ear all these years later. Yeah, that's what we do, I think, in this vocation. And mm. um, now, look, thinking or speaking about vocation, uh, our theme has been well, we chose this theme, Transformative Love. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about transcendence and trans- transformative music. And there's this um, very famous. Um, hymn that is played across parishes and schools and groups and I remember when I would li- I would listen to this hymn before I even met you uh it just drew me to it um but when I came when I finally met you somebody said to me you know that you know that hymn come as you are that was composed by DB <laughs> and I thought what I live I live with a person who composed that hymn so um tell me about come as you are it, it's such a, I think it's exactly what we need today. There's this truth about we love you as you are. Just come as whoever you are. Well, we have to thank a priest who heard my confession once. <laughs> <laughs> he was um, a young fellow, a young Jesuit, in um, the university chaplain. And he'll never know, really. He mm. left the Jesuits and married later on, and uh, uh, I've often wondered how I could contact him and let him know that the good that he did yeah. by saying to me, I don't think God wants you to scratch around with all those things you're saying about yourself. Just come as you are. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? So we owe, we owe the lovers in the air. Yeah. Know? We owe people... Um, a lot because we pick up so much from each individual energy. Yeah, it's all about energy, energy. and what we yeah receive and so give. I went home in Brisbane that night to the convent where I was in Cooparoo and it was very hot. Oh gosh, yeah. and I couldn't <laughs> sleep. It was stifling, and I lay there thinking about the day. And come as you are, as a phrase came back into my head. Jumped out of bed sat down and thought, it's useless lying here, and I'll just, uh, I think there's a song in that, yeah. and I wrote it. So how does it go? Come as you are, that's how I want you. Come as you are, stay quiet at home, or something like that. Yeah. I always forget my own words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but mm. the fact is, it, it came out of my heart yeah. and soul mm. that night, and then I popped back to bed and there was a piece, a scrap of music. Yeah. And I said to the nuns, oh, I've written a new song last night. Oh, yeah, you know. Because oh, <laughs> I was always writing one. So yeah. that was... And well, then, that's how Emily Dickinson, you know, the poet, this is how she wrote. She would write lines, um, yeah. short lines of poetry that would come into her yeah. mind. And it's interesting because I... I been researching a little bit about yeah. Emily Dickinson, and yes. I don't know if you've been watching the the the, the show, the new show on uh, Apple TV. It's called Dickinson, but it's the modernised version of her life. Oh. But I've been reading a little bit about 
her life and how actually, um, in a sense, she never really went out. Um, she never did anything. She was mainly in her room. She spent years and years Gosh, isolated, yeah. yet mm. she she wrote about life and nature yes. and war, and she had never been exposed to any of those things, yet it's like she knew them. She's this innate knowing. Doesn't that go back to imagination and the yes. nurturing of your imagination? Um, because... I think you can't really enter creative space if you haven't, if you don't keep feeding that, you know. No. And poetry and music mm. feeds my imagination. And I think imagining uh, God, imagining yes. the universe, we don't, oh, the wonders of what we're exposed to at oh, the moment yeah. with those pictures of that's come back from space, you know, um, extraordinary. Yeah. And that sort of fills you with... Um, it fills, fills my imagination. So you talked about art, and I love to sit with a, a piece I love and just see where that takes me. Yeah. And um, music sometimes I can be too analytical about because I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, I found one stage in my life going to a concert, I would sit there and I, I was sick of myself because I would be following the harmonic movements of the passages and trying to... Uh, I don't know what that means. No, you probably don't. <laughs> <laughs> but your imagination has to be nurtured and fed. Yes. And mm. I think otherwise you'll never love, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, your soul, you need, you need that. And love feeds the soul too. Yes, yeah. The beauty of your... Yeah. Now, um, Rumi is one of my favourite writers, Um as you know, obviously, my Middle Eastern background, I, I do love Rumi, but I also love Khalil Gibran, as you know. Um, and Rumi says, uh, respond to every call that excites your spirit. Mm. And I love that. I love that because it's about um, that we're called to always uh, examine what actually excites us, mm. you know, uh, and that could change over years and yeah. over time and um, when you hear that as a poet yourself, um, respond to every call that excites you. What do, what do those words mean to you? Well, <laughs> Tell I me. think it would be a pretty tall order too. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so many things excite you. Middle Eastern people. <laughs> Middle Eastern, exactly. The this Persians. is a bit daunting, I said to myself, because if I respond to everything that excites me, I'd be all over the place, wouldn't I? Because I'm an all over the place person. Th that's that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, not terribly focused. Um, yeah, I, just... An aside, philosophically, there was this um, philosopher called Gabriel Marcel, French yeah. ph a philosopher for in existentialism, and he said, I, I find him the most comforting of people because he said, I will only achieve my goal through roundabout means. <laughs> and I think, well, I'm a circular thinker. So, you know, yeah. if I responded to everything that excited me, I don't know where I'd end up. But um, <laughs> I often get excited about what I can't possibly do. You know, there's too much excitement in this. Yeah. And so what I need in that responding to his his wonderful lines I think I, I see that he's talking about what brings you life mm. and respond to it and carry mm. that excitement forward in your yeah. life. 
and I think that requires discernment. Yes. Know? And we, particularly today, because we're so caught up in the speedy uh, thing of living. We are, And yeah. right in the fast lane and, you know, mm. you, you uh, often go around in circles and you, your head's full and the information and that you hold in your head and, yeah. and that you gain from IT and everywhere, everywhere, is yes. extraordinary. So somehow or other, if everything, if I respond to everything that excites me, yeah. <laughs> I would be a yeah. mess. <laughs> but, but in fact, I think we have in our spirituality the wonderful balancing tool yeah. of discernment, mm. which means it's a he heavy word, but in fact, it's just a matter of going and sitting and calming down and breathing deeply mm. and finding just where is the truth yeah. for me. Yes. I can't be somebody else. I can't do the wonderful things you do and prison work and other work that you've engaged in. Um, I'm an old woman now and I can't oh. do what I used to do well. 38 yeah. is not but, old. <laughs> <laughs> but now I can do what God calls me to yeah. do and I can be peaceful about it. Yeah. When I was young, I used to pray um, two prayers which have stood me in good stead all my life. Um, the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, mm. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. I yeah. like that because the violin was my main instrument. And it, you, you yeah. take it to your body and it's it's like an extension of yourself. Yeah. And you, I love that. I love that you it's physical, see the violin. physical. Yeah. Whereas you play onto a keyboard and yeah. it's still music that you create and you weave magic with vo voices um, choirs and ensembles. Yes, but uh, and you elicit their music, mm. and you and you hold it for them. Yeah, and, and it communicates as a one union. Yeah, but um, for me, um, the instrument that I am now is like, <laughs> if you compared it to what I could was, uh, it's like. Somewhat of a broken instrument, yeah. uh, a bit cracked and mm. um, croaky. Uh, <laughs> sing like a crow, crawl like a crow. <laughs> I don't know. Caw like a crow. <laughs> um, and and the arthritic hands and the hands have been like, as I said in the beginning, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. Mm. Well, I know my hands now don't work the way they could, and they they collapse it for, on me yeah. really. And once in a retreat, mm. a, a retreat director said to me, um, "Write a letter to your hands, yeah, and thank them, honour them for the yeah for the wonderful things you've been able to do through them." Absolutely. And I've done that. Did you? Yes. Oh, why didn't and, you bring the letter? Oh no, <laughs> it was very personal. <laughs> but um, at the same time, it helped me in the grieving process of what you can't do now. So. What I find now as an older person, I have to define my life by who I am now yes. and rejoice in that. So Rumi's Which words respond to every call that excites my spirit as an old lady. Yeah, as an 86-year-old. Who, who, who has made the time to come to this you know, studio, uh, participated in our venture. And you always say yes to us, whatever we ask. Yeah. So I think that's a good effort. Um, but going back to our, our legendary woman, 
Mary Ward, mm. whom we have this profound love for and admiration. Uh, and of course, you know these words better than I do because you 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 teach me about Mary Ward. Uh, but Mary Ward. Uh, on her deathbed, said to her sisters and the people who had gathered around her, let your vocation be constant, efficacious and affectionate. What has that meant for you in the last, uh, I would say, what, 70 years of religious life? Uh, not quite, but no. <laughs> <laughs> almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> yes, I know. With the ups and downs and the, yeah. the various stages you go through and um, I think it's a wonderful saying. Um, sh it came from the depths of her soul. If mm. you say something at the at the end to your sisters, I imagine to say, "Be constant," you know. And it's the language of a 16th century an amazing innovator, a woman summing up really in clear and arresting language what she yeah. wanted to say to them. And mm. I think it's something like this. In modern language, it might be, look, stay the course, be constant, yeah. you know. It's worth it. It's worth it. Mm. And go where you can make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So if you know yourself, that's being efficacious, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And where it'll change make, mm. all the time. It could change. It, it could change. And and I think it's, uh, in a sense, it keeps us uh, really um, set on what is the effective way to do mission yeah or to be mission i don't like saying to do mission no i feel like we are mission yeah um, we embody it well it's a bit like i am you are we are yeah i am mission you are yeah and ministry is the way we do whatever we do yeah the, you know for me of course you've characterized me today as all music but which is some, not that's limiting isn't it you're yeah, more than all music I am, but I am music. There was a point where I knew that my first language was music, yeah. you know, yeah, and wow. that's that's moved. And that's the universal language too. Yes, that's right. Yes. It's how we yeah. can communicate yeah. with our language. But Mary Ward, when she got to her uh, other word, affectionate. Now, affectionate sometimes sounds yeah. a little bit coldish or, or, or a bit further apart from bodily language, you know. I think mm. loving and I might be affectionate to you, but I may not love you and yeah. um, okay. yes. a nuance that I take from it but no other mm. people mightn't because it's just a more formal word but to to really love I feel is what she's saying to be loving as well so would you I, would you have said to use the word loving instead of well some people do translate it yeah that they way. do I've yes. seen it that way yes and 16th century language is different from it is. current and I was trying to think about that and I said yes to be constant is is to be persevering and to stay the course yeah. and to be loyal and true and all mm. that and I thought efficacious means really to achieve something and go where you can make a difference yeah. and go where the need is greatest and with the affectionate bit I think always be recognized by the love that you bring to your work and your labors mm. that's how I that's saw beautiful. it yeah. and um, I think when I die I hope I'll be able to say well you know I've lived out of love, as St. John of the Cross says, in the evening of life, you'll be judged on love. That's beautiful. I think we ended there. <laughs>